2 Chronicles chapter 34. If you were here last time I was preaching, then you have seen that we, we looked at something of the life of King Josiah. And we're going to be back with King Josiah. We're going to look a bit more at what happened at that time. Last time we focused on a couple of verses in 2 Kings. This time we're going to look at the whole of chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles. So we'll read the passage and then we'll get cracking. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles, and crushed the idols to powder, and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money which had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the doorkeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The men did the work faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari, and Zechariah and Meshullam descended from Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the labourers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes and doorkeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it from read it read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. 
He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that's poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they've forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard that he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers, and you'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took their an- her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest, He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord, their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Okay, quite a long passage. But I've read read the whole thing just so we can see something of what's happening at this time. Josiah, he becomes king as a young boy. He... He starts from a young age to seek God. And then we see him, he's going out, he's trying to reform the nation. He sees that there's all sorts of idols all around the land. They've been worshipping all sorts of different gods and turned away from from God in heaven. And he does it, we see see he goes out and deals with the altars. Then they set about sorting out the temple. They find the book of the law. They found God's word which had been lost. We see Josiah's response to that. And then we see what he does. And he gathers all the people to commit to God again. Last time when we were looking at this, we looked at at Josiah's action. We looked at how he wholeheartedly came back to God. But this time we're going to look at, yeah, but what about the people? What about the rest of the people? Josiah comes back wholeheartedly. And actually, we can read 2 Chronicles 34 and think, and so did they. It's great. 
Look, Josiah does all this stuff, and then we get right to the end, verse 32. He had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it, to the covenant. And in verse 33, as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. On the surface, it looks like it's all good. They've, all, they've come back to God. But if we dig a little bit deeper, we can see maybe the picture isn't quite so great as we think. And in fact, at this same time, Josiah's doing this at the same time the prophets Jeremiah and Zephaniah are speaking. We see the beginning of Jeremiah and the beginning of Zephaniah. Both of them start that they heard the word of the Lord. Paraphrase. They heard the word of the Lord in the time of Josiah. As well as some other time for Jeremiah. He went on a long time beyond. But the word of the Lord came to Josiah in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. And Zephaniah, he heard the word of the Lord during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And what we see if we look at the words of the prophets is a very different picture of what's going on. So let's turn to Jeremiah 25 just quickly. An example of this. This is a bit of a recap point in Jeremiah. Jeremiah's been, he's been proclaiming God's word. He's been saying this is what God says. And he kind of, this is after the time of Josiah, but he's looking back. And he hears the word of the Lord again. So Jeremiah 25 verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. And this is in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years from the 13th year of King Josiah, son of of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, The word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Wow. You have not listened. From the 13th year of King Josiah until now, so this is 23 years, King Josiah reigned for 31 years. So, here we are, here's the math. 18 years of those 23 years were under the reign of King Josiah. And we see in Zephaniah 3, see if we can find Zephaniah. I've cheated. I've got a tab in there to make sure I can find it. The beginning of Zephaniah 3. During the time of King Josiah, he says this about Jerusalem. Zephaniah 3 verse 1, woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Wow. So we see in in 2 Chronicles 34, the people followed all the days of Josiah. But then we see in Jeremiah, the people didn't listen all the days of Josiah. So what's this about? In effect, what we're going to do today is it's kind of the job of a surveyor. This is a picture in my mind because we've just had a survey done on a house. If some of you will know, we're looking to move house, not change area, just move house from one house to another. We found a house and we got a survey done. 
We thought, the house looks great. This is brilliant. But it's the surveyor's job to dig just a little bit deeper. Now, and we've, we're waiting for a survey report, which we think will have some things that maybe aren't quite right. We've had an initial, initial chat with him. But what we can see in 2 Chronicles 34, if we look a little bit deeper, we start to see some hints that perhaps all is not well. This house, if you like, looks good on the surface. But digging a bit deeper, is it actually as good as it looks? And in fact, as we look through it, does it really point to actually there's some fundamental flaws in the foundations of this place? So that's what we're going to look at. Now, in 2 Chronicles 34, we do see, we see some of these hints. Jeremiah and Zephaniah are fairly blunt about it. There's a bit more than a hint there. But in 2 Chronicles 34, although it seems to say everything's fine, there's still hints that it's not quite right. So what do we see right at the beginning with Josiah? We'll look at verse 3, 2 Chronicles 34, the second half of verse 3. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were, were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem, in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles, and crushed the idols to powder, and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. Now it's just a hint in these verses, and you could say, well, okay, Josiah was the one who got, got hold of it first, and he's leading the way. But what do we see in that verse? He did it. He did it. He did it. Under his direction, they did it. He did it. He burnt them. He sorted it. He tore down the altars. He tore down the idols. And then he went back to Jerusalem. It's just the start of a hint that perhaps the people haven't caught hold of what Josiah is trying to do. Now, We want to follow godly leaders. We want leaders who are leading the way. In that sense, Josiah, yes, go for it. But actually, perhaps there's a hint of, actually, yeah, Josiah's got hold of something. But the people are kind of just going along with it. Well, if the king says so, we'll tear down the altars. Yeah, okay. And right from the outset today, I want to pick up on this. We need to know Jesus ourselves. We want to follow godly leaders. We want to have leaders who are leading the way. But we need to respond to him in faith. We need to know him. We need to go after God for ourselves. Yes, following our leaders, but in faith. In a sense, we can go with other people's faith. It's kind of, well... Yeah, I'll come to church. Okay. Okay, this is what we're all doing? Okay, I can, I can do that. I can read the Bible sometimes. 
But really the question is, do we know Jesus? And kids here today, you can come with your parents. That's great. That's really great. In fact, I grew up, in a, I grew up with Christian parents, and actually you don't really necessarily notice it at the time. You don't think, oh, oh yeah, it's really great that they take me to church. But actually looking back, you understand. You understand I really hope that in years to come you'll understand Wow, I'm so glad my parents took me to church. I'm so glad my parents introduced me to Jesus. Gave me the opportunity to see him. But I encourage you to do as Josiah did. While you're young, seek the Lord. While you're young, seek the Lord for yourself. And that may involve listening to your parents. That will involve listening to your parents. But it also involve. You can, get, you can pray. You can get hold of these things. You can read in your Bibles. You can get to know him. Okay, so there's a bit of a hint that maybe the people haven't quite caught on to what Josiah's doing. Josiah's got it, but maybe they haven't. Okay, we go through the story. They work on the temple. There's clearly some faithful guys who are working on the temple. We read that there. And then they find the book of the law. And we see the response to that. Josiah gets the word read to him. Verse 18, we see that. Verse 18, when Shaphan takes the book back to the king, he reads it to him. And we see the king's response. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Achikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what's written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. So Josiah hears the word of the Lord. He hears from the book of the law. He hears what God has said. And he's cut to the heart. He's, wow, this is serious. This is, this is God's word. And this is what he says. And he seeks him. But then, in verse 29, we see what happens after Josiah's consulted the prophet Holder, prophetess Holder, and got the word, of, got, heard from God again. Then he gathers all the people together. Verse 29. The king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Then the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. Here's the people's response. The the ESV is somewhat more... Translate, it seems a bit more stark. 
He said, then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin join in it. So Josiah's got hold of the word of God and he comes back to God. He just said, Lord, we want to follow you. Then he has to make all the people join in. And they do when Josiah tells them to. The people don't seem to have been struck by the sense of, this is the word of God, and what is he saying? Oh man, wow, this is serious stuff. Perhaps they see their surroundings and think, well, actually, Josiah, what are you talking about? We're doing all right. We're doing okay. In fact, we see later in Jeremiah that possibly that's what a lot of them were thinking. Now, this is a long time later. Jeremiah is again, he's talking to the people, but they're looking back. Jeremiah 44, verse 15. Jeremiah has challenged them on the fact that they were, were worshipping this other god, the queen of heaven. Burning incense and doing other things. And Jeremiah has challenged them on it at this point. And then they say this, verse 15 of Jeremiah 44, Then all the men who knew that their wives were burning incense to other gods, along with all the women who were present, a large assembly, and all the people living in Lower and Upper Egypt, this is when the remnant of Judah, who haven't been taken into exile, have run away to Egypt. They said to Jeremiah... We will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We will certainly do everything we've said we would. We'll burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and we'll pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our fathers, our kings and our officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. At that time, we had plenty of food and were well off and suffered no harm. But ever since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've had nothing and have been perishing by sword and famine. In a sense, the people are thinking, actually, when we were doing all this stuff, and they pick up this one example, we were fine. We had loads of stuff. We had loads of food. We were safe. Everything was good. Josiah comes along and cuts all that down, and everything goes wrong. They haven't got hold of it. They haven't got hold of it. They're not believing the word of the Lord. They're not believing God's word. And they're not recognizing why it is, why have things gone wrong? Because they're not following him. So there's another hint that all is not as good as it looks. They don't seem to catch hold of the word of God. And then finally, the last verse of the chapter. Do they really trust God and follow him? That's what it says. They followed the Lord. They didn't fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers, as long as Josiah lived. But again, if we read the whole verse, and again, the ESV is a bit more stark, but even in the NIV, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived... They did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Again, the ESV is, 
he made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord. So we see the people, they follow God. They do the stuff because Josiah told them to. They do what they're told. They, the idols have been taken away, so they're not, they're not actively going after the idols because they're not there. They haven't got the statues to go up to or the altars to go and burn incense on. In Jeremiah 3, God tells us through Jeremiah, they did it, they followed. Chapter 3, verse 10, he's talking about how Israel was taken off into exile, and even then, Judah's seen it. This is where Josiah's talking now. Judah's seen it, and, and they've still said, ah, actually, we'll go after our, our other gods. And then, in verse 10, Jeremiah 3, verse 10, in spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, and then this, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. And all the hints through chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles just kind of point to this summary in Jeremiah. They turn back to God in pretense. They're kind of, they're kind of, oh, well, if we've got to do it, we'll follow the rules. If we've got to do it, we won't go and build more idols. Okay, we won't build more idols. We'll just, we'll do this thing. The hints point to a big problem. In effect, the surveyor's report is in. We've seen the hints in, the, in 2 Chronicles 34. We see some big declarations in Jeremiah. Actually, what we see is there's a big problem right down to their foundations. It looks okay. It looks lovely. If you, if you just looked on the surface, you'd see, okay, they're going after God. They're not, they're not worshipping idols. They're doing it. But what we see through the hints is a picture built up of a people begrudgingly following the rules. Perhaps in fear of Josiah, well, he's the king and he says we've got to do it. But they're not responding in faith. They're not responding in faith. We see them hearing the word of, the word of God and being unmoved. What we see is a people who look okay on the surface. But they're just relying on, their, on the wholehearted faith of their leader. They're not changed. They look good on the surface, but God doesn't look at the surface. In 1 Samuel 16, we see that. When Samuel goes, God sends Samuel to pick a new king. And Samuel sees Jesse's oldest son, Elijah, Eliab. He thinks, oh yeah, this is the guy. He's a big, tall bloke. He's strong. He looks, he looks like a king. But in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And this is it. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
And in a sense, this whole surveyor's report is looking in on what's going on in their hearts. What's going on in the people's hearts? We see Jesus challenges the Pharisees on this. And in fact, Jesus is pretty, what's the word? He's strong on this. He just goes at it. Matthew 23. With the whole chapter of it where he's just going, the Pharisees, what, what are you doing? But this particularly in verse 27. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What we see, the people's response to God is just on the surface. The people's response to God, it's not wholehearted. Josiah has turned heart and soul to God. The people are just hypocritically saying, okay, we'll do the thing. But their hearts aren't changed. And the warning to us from seeing this, this reports in, is what is our foundation? What is our foundation? What are we built on? Are we a people who just follow the rules? We look good on the outside. We're doing the things we should do. But with hearts that are unchanged. That are cold towards God. Yeah, God, I'm going to do the things I need to do. What is our faith built on? How do we see God and what he has called us to? How do we see our position before him? What is our foundation? Again, Jesus told the story of the wise and foolish builders. Whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, that's like a man who's building on solid foundations. So what does his word say? What are we to put into practice? What is this foundation? Do we really understand who he is and what he's done for us? Because the people didn't. The people had completely lost sight of it. That this, this, the word that they're reading, the, the, the person Josiah was following, he is the God of the universe. The one who made them. The one who had planted them in the land. The one who had protected them and sustained them by his grace. And that was the only reason they were still there even. So what's our foundation? To look at this, who's seen the film Frozen? Oh, it's, it's some. It's not only many. Does that mean we need a long, a long synopsis of the whole? No, no, we don't. We definitely don't. But what you see, if you haven't seen it, here is the spoilers. What you see are two sisters. One of them's got these slightly strange powers to create snow and ice and all this stuff. But they've got a problem. She can't control these powers. And she hurts her sister accidentally. They've got a big problem. But what we see is at the beginning, the idea is Elsa, the sister with the powers, what you need to do is just learn to control it. Just do this. 
Conceal it. Don't feel it. Don't let them know. That was the first rule. The next one, don't let them know, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. But the whole idea is that Elsa can just follow the rules. You can stop it, don't do it. Just, you're never going to use these powers again. No one's going to see it. But what's happened? Her heart hasn't changed. It's still full of fear, still full of, I've got to stop doing it and I can't. To the point where she just can't do it anymore. And yes, she lets it go, let it go. <laughs> can't hold it back anymore. Anyway, I, I, I didn't watch this yesterday, did I? But what do we see? The whole point in this film, I, I, to be honest, this is probably the only reason I'd keep watching Frozen. But you just see the picture of actually what happens. Elsa thinks, I've got to follow the rules. Then she thinks, I can't be done with this. I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to do what I want. But what actually changed things in the end? What changes things? Love, Rachel. (laughs) But what happens? Her sister, the one who she hurt, stands in the gap sacrifices herself for her sister in, yes, in an act of true love. The one who she hurt, the one who she had, she had basically hurt to the point of death, in an act of sacrificial love, gave her life to save her. And what do we see? That's what changes her. That's what changes her. Actually, after that, her heart is changed. It's the picture of Frozen, but actually, in many ways, that's the picture of the gospel. The people who are following Josiah are just going through the motions. They're saying, okay, well, I'll follow the rules. I'll do the rules. I'll go with it. But what does the gospel say? We can't do it by following the rules. We can't come into his kingdom. We can't come into his presence. What does it say? Jesus has died for us. Jesus has died for us. Just at the right time while we were still powerless. While we were far away from him. He died for us. The surveyor's report on the Israelites points to a dodgy foundation. Our foundation is that Jesus has died. Jesus died for us. In in his grace, we stand. In his grace, we stand. And in his grace, we come into his kingdom. By his grace, we are forgiven. By his grace, we are free. This is our position. If we know him, if we're in him, We can't try and follow with unchanged hearts. We can't try and go after Jesus in in some kind of legalistic way of thinking, well, I can follow all these rules. It's not about that. Colossians 1. I think Neil might have read this out in the worship time last week. Colossians 1.15. 
This is talking about Jesus. This is the Jesus who we trust. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your, own, in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. He is our foundation. Jesus is our foundation. Because he has redeemed us. He has made us new. He hasn't just given us a set of rules to follow and then said, right, get on with it. Let's see how well you do. He's changed our hearts. He's put a new heart in us. That's what you can know today. If you don't know him today, you can know this, that Jesus has died for you. You can come to know him. You can be in his family. You can have all your sins wiped away because of what he has done. The Israelites, the people of Judah, didn't get it. They didn't understand this was their God speaking. But a surveyor's report can point to dodgy foundations, as it did in their case. It's, oh, guys, you're so off whack. It's, so, it's gone. You were... You're not building on anything of the truth. You're just trying to follow some rules. But you know what? A surveyor's report can, can look at a house that's got good foundations. The foundations are solid. Everything's good. But actually, there can still be some stuff that's crept in. And so for us, we know our salvation is in Christ. Our foundation is on him. But actually, we can look at just quickly, these guys who are following Josiah. And actually, we can pick up, okay, we know the truth. The found, our foundation is secure. We're, on, we're standing on Christ in grace. Actually, we can still slip in to different things. We know this is the way we came in. We were saved by grace. But what does it tell us? What can it just challenge us to say, actually... Am I continuing in this hope, as Colossians tells us? Continue, not being moved from the hope of the gospel. So if we go back to the hints that came out in 2 Chronicles 34, what do we see? Well, the first thing is almost the whole thing is that they were just, they were living in legalism. They were living in legalism. We have the challenge to continue in faith by grace. 
The people responded, well, we need to do what Josiah has told us to do. But we know that's not what it's about. Jesus went to the cross not to gain a people who begrudgingly then follow some rules to kind of keep going. But he's transformed our hearts. That we can go on following him and loving him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. It's the foundation we need to continue on. But we can so easily slip into a legalistic mindset. We, can get, we know it's by grace. It's by what Jesus did. That's, why we're, that's how we're saved. But actually, if I do this, God will love me just a bit more. Or I've done, I've done so well. Why is it all going wrong? Almost to the point, doesn't God owe me something now? That attitude of the people of, well, what good will it do me? They were thinking, well, if we gave up for following that other God and everything went wrong. What's, what's, what's this all about? We can so easily slip into those mindsets. It's so easy to think, God, I've been following, and yet, why, why is everything not going perfectly for me now? But as we see, Paul says in Romans... Paul doesn't talk about a kind of pain-free utopian life as we go on following God. But what does he say? Romans 8. In verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's talking about, we're going through some stuff. We can go through lots of stuff. It can be hard. But then what does he go on to say? Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What do we see? God doesn't promise us some kind of free ride of kind of just constant kind of ease. Everything's easy. But what does he say? That in everything, he works for our good. In everything, he's at work. He is at work. And he is with us. We need to continue living by his grace. We can push on in him. Not getting distracted by, oh, what? but why has this gone like this? Or, surely I deserve something extra now. And actually, our legalism can bear out so easily. If we're, if we're parents here, Sometimes, how much grace do we have for our kids? How much grace do we have for them? I say that there's been times over the last weeks where just dealing with Andrew, and just thinking, you've got to obey me because I'm your dad. Is that how God looks at us? Is that how God looks at us? Or did he say, I love you. There is grace. There is grace. Yes, he calls us to to come follow him, to obey, to go after him. But there is grace. Do we have grace? Again, talking to the parents, do we have grace for our kids? Do we keep showing it? I've had to keep coming back in repentance because it's just, that can be hard. 
It can be hard at times. You just think, why won't you just listen? But we live in grace. He has poured out his grace on us. One of the easy ways for it not to show is how we pour out our grace on our kids. Okay, so we want to continue in grace and in faith, not in legalism. There's also a challenge to be excited by his word. We saw that in the, in the passage. The people just seemed to act kind of indifferent. Josiah was cut to the heart, but then Josiah had to make the people respond. But what do we see in this book? What do we see? Can we not be moved? Can we not be moved? We see Jesus, the one who we worship, the one who we follow. He died for us. He holds us in his hands. He leads us on. But it's easy for us. We can become, we can read and we can just become indifferent. We can even be reading this passage about Josiah and the guy, oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Israelites didn't seem to respond very well. Okay, yeah, right. <sighs> Next page. It's easy for us to slip into that kind of attitude of, oh, I'm just going to read, I'm going to read, I'm going to read, I'm going to read. Does it impact us? Are we excited? Are we, are we stirred by his word? In Philippians 2, Paul tells us to hold firmly to the word of life. What a description, the word of life. We see Jesus. We see Jesus in his word. Are we excited by it? Are we excited by it? And thirdly, there's a challenge for us to press on. Why do I say that? What we see in the passage is the people relying on Josiah's faith. But when he was gone, they fell away. In fact, they hadn't really turned back in the first place. But certainly when he was gone, they just, wow, it's all gone wrong. The idols were back. Everything had gone. There are many who have gone before us who have built good foundations we know that person, we know that as a church here, we know that we've had a great foundation built. We know that back over the, over the years and over even the centuries in church history, there have been leaders who have stepped up and fought battles. But what is it that the word says? What is it that we're living for? What is it that we're going after? Reminded again, Chris Chart wanted to borrow the film of Martin Luther's life. Even looking back, you see... Martin Luther in church history just standing up and saying, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But there's loads, we could go back through history looking at so many different characters, different people who have fought battles. Are we going to press on in running after God? In recent years here, Arnold has built a great foundation here. I'm reminded that Mark spoke to us 
of becoming a church of many fathers. We want to go on in faith. This is not just about listening to a leader and thinking, okay, yeah, we're doing all right as a church. This is good. But are we going to be inspired? Are we going to be caught up in faith? Are we going to be caught up in faith? Even looking at the thing of moving to three congregations as a church, moving into new stuff. We've not heard a lot of detail yet. We've heard the why. Why is it? Why, why, are, we mo- why are we going this way? And there's purpose in that. There's purpose. Why are we doing it? Can you get caught up with that? Can you, can, can you hear? Actually, this is what God has said. This is what God's been pointing us to. This is what God is saying. That's what we want to communicate. Can you get hold of that? Not in a kind of, you must get hold of this because this is where we're going. That would be fairly pointless having listened to all that we've just heard. But do we want it? Do we believe it? Do we believe this is what God has said? For all of us. Not just for Dan or for me. Maybe for the leadership team. Maybe for a few core group leaders. But for everyone, this is what, this is what God is calling us into. Can we press on in faith? The people in Josiah's time were standing on a fairly shaky foundation. But we know, by the word of God, we know, we see in his word what our foundation is. Jesus has died for us. Jesus rose again. Jesus has saved us. The challenge for us The challenge, if you don't know him, is to come to him today. He loves you. And he has done it. He's done it. He has paid the price. Come to him. But for for all of us, in effect, we can be challenged to continue in faith. To continue not moving from the hope of the gospel. But actually the call to us is to keep coming back to him. The call to us is to keep coming back to him. To seek him. To, to want more of his spirit. To want to follow him more closely. To, to ask him, help me to be excited by your word. To ask him, help me to continue on in grace. In effect... As Zephaniah was saying to the people at that time. Zephaniah 3, 2 again. It's kind of the opposite of what he says to them. Describing Jerusalem as she obeys no one, she accepts no creation, correction. She doesn't trust in the Lord. She doesn't draw near to her God. The call to us today is to draw near to him. To keep drawing near to him and to trust him. He has set us on a good foundation. We can trust him to lead us on. Let's pray.